Morning, church. What in the world happened while I was gone? Like I, I usually stand here in the dark and I look at you in the dark. Not today. I saw y'all all lit up. <laughs> that big old screen, man. That is awesome. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians. We're in our last chapter, chapter six today. And uh, before we get into the word, um, I want to, to make sure you're aware of a Christmas block party is coming up in a couple of weeks. I don't know if we have a graphic for that on that big old screen right there. We love to party, especially at Christmas here at Bannockburn. Uh, we want you to bring friends. This is something we do totally for the community. Uh, we have lots of fun. We celebrate Christmas together. There's going to be ice snow slides, which I love. I always get on it and go down that uh, first uh, every year. And uh, But snow out there is going to be fun. So bring the kids, bring families, anybody that you know. And we just want to pack this place full of people from our community and we can love them. Amen. And that's, what, that's the whole goal for this. So, so uh, start inviting now because I know Christmas gets very busy for a lot of people and, and uh, we want to get on the calendar as soon as possible. And so hope you'll join us in that, all right? All right, Ephesians chapter 6. We're closing out our series today. It's been a great journey in Ephesians. And um, we're going to close out from verse 10 down to 24. And so as always, we want to just give uh, the Lord our attention here and just meditate on the, on the text of Scripture. And I believe when we do that, um, God will work in our hearts. If we'll listen for the Spirit of God in the, in the Word of God, um, I believe he'll, he'll speak very clearly to us. And so let's, uh, let's give him our attention here for just a second. Starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, and with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me, that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Father, we uh, commit this time to you. And um, Lord, as I seek to just unpack 
the essence of this text, uh, Lord, I pray that you would just be able to translate um, what you said through Paul to the church in Ephesus, to us today here in Austin in 2021. Spirit of God, apply it to our lives, move us where you want us to go, minister to us, speak to us, give us clarity. Um, and Lord, fill us with energy for the fight. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, uh, growing up on the Gulf Coast, uh, it's South Alabama, Northwest Florida, right there, Pensacola, Gulf Shores kind of area. Um, as soon as I was able to, to, to surf, I, I did. Uh, and, I, and I saw other guys doing it. And I wanted to, to try it out. The problem is in, in that area in the Gulf Coast, the, the waves aren't that big most of the time. And it's not really a great place to, to surf. Um, and, and, but, but the times when you can surf is usually when there's a big storm out in the Gulf, like a hurricane out, out way out or something like that. And then what you find is it blows up all these big waves. And um, it could even be sunny where you are. It's just the hurricane way out there is just pushing up all these waves. And so you, I call the surf report every day. My mom even bought me a, a surfboard, had the tri-fin and all of that, and the ankle strap and all this stuff, and you wax it just right. And I got it all ready, and it's a big, heavy board, right? It's not, it's not like a little thing. It's a big, heavy board. Well, we get, we get to go out there. Typically, we'd go out there at the big waves. We'd get, oh, man, surf's up, big storm, something happening. Well, the bigger the waves are, the more challenging it became because it changed the dynamics of things. Um, and so you, you get there, and you find a place where it's breaking really good. The problem with the big waves is you have to go out further in order to catch the because the, the, they break further out, right? And, uh, and so usually the big waves require you to go out further than where you can touch. And so you don't have the ability to ride a wave and then you know, stand on the ground and kind of walk back where you were. You don't have that anymore. You're resting on your board. and you're up. The other thing about the big waves is you're always looking out that way because you don't want to get caught off guard with a big wave knocking you over and all of a sudden now you're in a real challenge, right? So you want to keep your eyes out on the ocean and, and be looking for a good wave to ride, but also don't want to get taken down by a big wave and, and be injured and that sort of thing. So you're always looking out. And another thing about storms is that it stirs up the, the current. The current is already quick. If you've been to the Gulf Coast, you know, the, the current can move you down the coast pretty quick, but it's even more so during a storm. I mean, you can actually see the water doing this, like a, like a river, um, and you can go very quick. The problem is so you can't touch the ground. You're always looking out to the ocean, and the current is swift. So what can happen is you're getting out there, and you're having all this fun. You're riding and, and going back out, and you're keeping your eyes always out that way. And, you know, you can look up, and you are a mile down. <laughs> you're in a totally different area of the beach very quickly before you turn around. Uh, it can take you quite a ways. So what I did, I learned the hard way, because then, you, you know, you can be a mile down the beach. i got to carry this big old heavy board back to my car all the way down the beach to get where I was, right? So I learned, I learned the hard way, but then I, I developed a little system. Um, what I would do in these moments is I would go out and I would fix a place on the coast, whether it's a tree or a house or a particular color item or a tower or something. I would find that spot and I would, after every ride, I made it a habit. I rode the wave, I look up and I find that spot and I would just paddle over just a little bit. You could just get your feet up off the thing and paddle over against the current pretty easy. And, and every time, if you adjusted every time you rode back to that place, you wouldn't have to do the walk, right? You could stay in that one spot and have a great time and stay in that one spot. So this was a habit that I created. And as I was reading the text the past couple of weeks and just really marinating in this text, I thought about that, that principle. 
Paul is basically saying to us believers here, stay strong in the Lord and in his mighty strength. And, and what does he mean by that? Well, what he means by that is that we would stay close to him, that we would stay full of him, that we would stay full of his word, that we would stay, be in a state where we're fully committed internally, that, that our eyes are clear, that we see things for the way they are. We're looking at it from God's lenses. We're, we're full of God, right? And, and, and there's not, they're, they're, we're just so full that we're strong. And, and this is what Paul's talking about to believers, saying be strong in the Lord and in his might. So it's not us being strong. You be strong. No, it's be in the Lord and his strength. Be full of him. This is the idea. Now, I believe being strong in God when you first become a Christian is, is kind of, it's a lot easier for some reason. Um, you know, you're just, you're just full of his love and his forgiveness, and you just feel washed, and you feel clean, and you feel pure, and you feel loved, and you feel forgiven and free. Uh, amen. You remember feeling that when, when God just washed over you and redeemed you uh, and saved you? And it was just, you just feel so full and strong and confident, and, and you, it's just an incredible experience of God's love and its power, and you just feel so full. Temptations that would master you maybe at one point in your life, they're just not like that anymore, you know. I remember having that. that I just didn't have the temptations that I did before that were out there. Um, all of a sudden, they were just like not temptations anymore. Uh, not, not something I delighted in or desired. And my desires changed, and, and all of these things happened. And, and, and I feel like that even in that little, that little baby phase, where you first come into the faith, uh, the God like answers all your prayers. It's like what we do with kids. It's like, oh, isn't that so cute? Yeah, give him a new pony. That is awesome. You know, I mean, we just, he, God just showers you. He answers all your prayers and, and everything, just seems, everything just seems to be, be working. Praying was, was something that wasn't a, a burden or a duty or a task or a discipline. Praying was like, I love to pray. I want to pray. It fuels me. I wanted to go be with the people of God on Sunday. I wanted to go attend church. I don't do that out of duty. I don't have to go. I want to go. I can't wait to get there and hear the word and sing and all of that with the people of God. And, and, and reading the word was so uh, satisfying. And I, I remember think, thinking this, that every, I would just read the Bible every night just because it was just so, man, uh, powerful and, and kept catch my bones on fire, like Jeremiah. And I just remember all of that being true. And, and that's what Paul's talking about when he says, be strong in the Lord and in his strength of his might. That is a place of strength for the believer. You're just full of God. Now, it's not necessarily a condition of spiritual maturity, because you can be strong in the Lord and at, at all phases of spiritual growth and maturity. So it's not talking about maturity. It's just talking about being full of him, being full of God, being totally saturated with his, with his love and his power. And you just feel so strong in, in that moment. But what we find in the Christian life, typically, is that the current of this world always seems to be pulling away from that place. Always seems to, it can be a light current, you know, just barely moving, uh, that can just slowly get us away from that strong, full place to, to a weaker place where we're not so strong, we're not so alert, tempted, temptations are a little more powerful. Um, we, we just drift away a little bit. Uh, it can also be like a, a flood river. 
that just feels like it's sweeping us, right? Um, uh, the current of this world is always moving us away from that strong place with God. This is the idea here. And as Christians, if we aren't careful, if we don't find that fixed point, in other words, in the midst of the current of life that we are always returning to, we can find, look up one day and find and ask the question, how did I get so far from God? How did I, 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 was, I was all on fire at one point in my life and full and everything just seems to be like awesome. And, and then all of a sudden, now I feel like I don't even care. Like I'm apath apathetic spiritually. Uh, how did I get here? Well, this is what Paul is really talking about. What we learn is, in this series that we've been talking about, there's scripts that we need to flip. Your identity needs to be flipped to a different script. The power of the script and the narrative that we live by, um, it, is, it, is, it is so powerful. It's the most important thing about us is the way that we think about ourselves. But one thing that we, are, we can be tempted to think about ourselves is that the Christian life um, is not a fight. That we can just sort of be a Christian and pick our feet up and play and just live life. Um, that there's not a fight involved. And Paul wants to tell this last charge in Ephesians, right before he begins to close up the letter, uh, he wants us to know, warning, if you're operating on a script that doesn't require a fight, you're following the wrong script. A Christian is a fighter to their core. You have to have a fighting spirit to make it. To stay guarded, to stay hot, to stay strong in the Lord and in the might of his power or his strength. You got to fight for it. Yes, it's true. Theologically, God is the sovereign king of all that is. He has chosen you from the past, redeemed you in the present, uh, atoned for your sins in Christ 2,000 years ago, approached you by his spirit, saved your soul when you trusted him. You became a child of God. You have a new nature. You have a new identity. He has plans for your life. He has a purpose for your life. And he has a heaven that is secure for you that no one can take you away from that promise and that love that he has for you. All of those things are true all the way to chapter 3. Now God wants you to live according to the identity that you have in him. He wants you to live a life at work, at home, that it lines with who you are now and what his will is for your life. He wants you to get that flowed all the way out into your life. And the last thing in Ephesians he wants you to know about you is you have to fight. And if you don't fight, if you don't pick a fixed point, the current of this world will have its way with you, it will take you away. You will not lose your salvation, but you will lose your joy. There's a whole lot of things that you will lose. You'll lose your influence for the kingdom of God. You'll lose all kinds of things in the midst of it. There are lots of consequences there. You've got to fight. So living strong in the Lord and the strength of his might is what Paul is getting at. And I want to show you three principles we're given 
to staying strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. How do we keep that place where we're strong in him? Uh, three things. Know your enemy's schemes. Secondly, keep your guard up. Thirdly, use your weapons. And so he's using military language. So you, you and I got to get into a military mode here for a little bit because that's where he goes. And where he goes, we go, right? You got to go with him into this, this context and the way of thinking about the Christian life here. So number one, know your enemy's schemes. He talks about that in verse 11. Put on the full armor of God, the guard, the defenses of God, the protection of God. So you can take your stand. Now, to take your stand or to stand means that I, I, I hold my ground. I don't give up any ground. I hold my ground. I defend my ground against an enemy's attack. To stand means to be established and to remain. The way the flag is after the war, right? You know, I mean, like, there it is. The flag's still there. We still stand the authority still stands. This is the idea that Paul's talking about here, that we stand, take your stand against, but then when it's all said and done, you stand. I made it through it. I made it through the day of evil. I made it through the season. All the onslaught came at me, and I took my ground, and I defended it, and I took the onslaught, and now at the end of all, all is said and done, the battle is over, and I, st I stood. In other words, you're victorious against the enemy schemes, against you. This is, the, this is the context. But it means to stand, to remain strong in the Lord, means that you're aware of the enemy's schemes. You know who he is, you know how he works, and you know his ways, and you see him coming from a long way off. You can sniff him out fast. You can smell him long before he gets to you because you know him. You know his ways. You know all about him. And because you recognize him clearly, you are ready for him. And because you knew how he comes at you, you know how to respond. You know how to defend. You know how to stay strong. Who is your enemy? Who is our enemy? Well, the Bible, the New Testament mainly Gives us the teaching that we have three enemies that we're to watch out for. All of them are in the same army, but they're just sort of three different wings, so to speak, of the same army of enemies that, that we have. And it's the enemy of your soul. And the enemy of your soul in the sense that it wants to take you away from your condition in the Lord. There's three of them, and you need to be diligent against all of them. The first one is this, the flesh in us. The Bible talks about the flesh. Paul talks about the flesh a lot, especially in Romans. You can learn about the flesh in us. And basically what the flesh is, is in our fallen state, we have a sinful nature. When we are saved in Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit, a new nature. But we still have old nature there with us. That's the flesh. It's the old way. It's the old desires. It's the, old, the things that used to drive us. It's still there. The flesh is still there. The way that we kill the flesh, the old, is that we yield to the Spirit, the new. And we keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And as we're keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, He gags, kills, and puts to, puts to death 
that old nature in us, but we have to yield to the Spirit. We've got to obey Him. We've got to follow Him, keep Him step in a relationship with Him. If you want clarity on the difference between the flesh and the Spirit within us, go to Galatians chapter 5, 16 to 26. That will help you know the enemy. That will help you know the enemy within. Even a thought that rises up, you can determine whether that's your flesh or whether it's the Spirit. And sometimes that's hard if you don't know the difference. You need to know the difference. And you need to know what thought to foster and what thought to totally throw out. Well, that's walking with the Spirit of God. Galatians 5, 16 to 26 gives clear delineation in the differences. It's important that you know that. And the bottom line is stay with the Spirit inside you. Stay with the Spirit and you will not live for the flesh that wants to kill you. If you stay with the Spirit, He'll lead you away from the flesh all the time. And He'll kill that thing. And our, the, the next enemy we have is, is the world. The Bible uses this term a whole lot. If I went to reference it, it would take us all morning. The world around us, basically, and that is fallen mankind on the earth in a fallen state, alienated from God, having ignorance in our heart of who God is and, and his love and all of that. We try to find our own way. And we're driven by things that are sinful within. And we were part of that. And the things that drive us creates currents of human movements, cultures, and things like that. That's all the world. It's the anti-God spirit in the world. It's fallen mankind doing what they do all together. And that's, that's really the world. I call it the currents. The currents of the world and culture. And our flesh inside us has a love connection to the world and its ways. We have a, a bent to, to, to kind of want that. We do. Christ and the spirit is always going to lead us contrary to those two things, always, in most, most every case. Jesus is going to lead us to love. The flesh is going to lead us to selfish ambition, me, and everybody serving my interests. Uh, selfishness is in the flesh. Self-sacrifice is in the spirit. Uh, this is all the stuff, this clear delineations, and you can see it if you study it. But Paul mentions an individual who's an enemy, and he's our third enemy, Right here, the devil. And I believe when Paul mentions the devil here, he's mentioning the devil, all the fallen angels with him, and all the ripple effects that are created, which is the world and its ways and us in our flesh. All of that is the ripple effects of this one singular uh, power, authority in the heavenly places, fallen. He is present in the earth. He has ruled and reigned. Um, and Christ came to defeat the works of the devil. When Christ is on the cross and he rose from the grave, he's staring Satan right in the eye. He came to destroy that person and all of his ripple effects with him. And he did that on the cross. He defeated Satan. Satan defeated foe. He's not omniscient. He is powerful. He's spiritual. Uh, he's here. He probably doesn't know who you and I are, probably. Uh, however, um, we have attachment. To him, And that's our flesh and the world is all the effects that gets created by him. So all of that picture is what the Bible gives us when we look at that. Now I want you to look at the word devil. The word devil there is, in the Greek, is diabolos. And it's literally translated the divider. You can know his nature by his name. He divides what God wants unified. The things God has established of beauty and order on the earth, he wants to break down and kill and destroy. That's John 10.10. 10. 
He seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to tear down anything that God has built to be unified and beautiful. So what does that mean? He absolutely targets the home. He is after dividing husband from wife, parents from kids. He wants to just completely shred that to pieces. Tear that structure down. He is the divider. If you see movements on the earth where people are devouring themselves in a context where they should be unified, um, what you see is that's the work of the enemy. The people have gotten in the flesh. There's churches that have had this happen. People have gotten in the flesh. The enemy's on the prowl. They get in the flesh over some particular issue that's not an issue worth fighting over, and yet they can't seem to let go of it. They're hung up on it, and there's a gravity of the flesh in that church, and they're getting their lampstand removed. The enemy has had his way, and they are defeated. He's the divider. When you see this happening in the world, that's him. Selfish nature, the flesh, all of that bundled together to show you your enemy. You should see him coming from a long way away, but often we don't. We get caught up. We can get in the flesh in a hurry. And Christians need to know and recognize the nature of our enemy and our enemy within. We don't fear the enemy. Let me say this. He has nothing on us. We are firmly secure. Not, no power in heaven on earth, Paul says, can separate us from the love of Christ. He has nothing on us. He who, is great, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He has nothing on you. He can only do what the Lord lets him, allows him to do. He has nothing on us as the children of God. We should not be afraid of him, but we need to know about him, know his schemes, not let him have a foothold in our life. Do you all hear that? Don't give him an inch. Why? Because just like your kids' parents, they take a mile. He will take it. He'll take everything he can get, everything in your life. You give him a foothold, he'll take everything. Paul says, do not give him a foothold. Not one inch. Jesus in the temptation in the wilderness. He's hungry. Satan offers him bread. What does Jesus do? All right, I'm waiting on you to tempt me to sin, but bread, y'all can use some bread right now. No, he goes, no. It's a good thing. It's not sin for me to eat this bread, but it's you. And I don't care what you say. I don't care anything you offer me. I don't give you an inch. Our Lord is a fighter. Our Lord is someone who holds his ground and doesn't give an inch to this enemy. And we are to be fighters with Christ. So first, know your enemy's schemes. Secondly, keep your guard up. I lived in Bossier City, Louisiana for 12 years. And uh, the thing about Bossier, Louisiana is it's home to the giant uh, Air Force Base, Barksdale Air Force Base. Anybody familiar with old Barksdale Air Force Base? All right. I got a few hands. That's awesome. So there, uh, we were in a church right next to Barksdale. So we had a lot of pilots in our church that were friends of mine. And so the problem with them is they'd be there two years and they go to Minot or wherever. And it was hard. It was like... I hated seeing them go, but they were always on a rotation. But I got to know a lot of them, and we got to hang out, got to hear the stories of flying in a B-52 and all that kind of stuff. But one thing you'll know, at Barksdale, there's hundreds of B-52s. They're like these gigantic bombers. B-52 is a big deal in the military, I learned. You move a couple of B-52s, like you add a couple of B-52s to Guam, China and all of them get all enraged, and they call the White House, what are you doing? And you're like, it's a couple of planes. Yeah, but those planes can wipe out a country. They are powerful. 
They can carry all these bombs and all this kind of stuff. Well, anyway, these B-52s are the old workhorse of the military, built a long time ago. And what you'll find in Bossier City is you'll be in a parking lot somewhere, often on a golf course, in a park, outside, anywhere, and you're talking to somebody, and you got to go, hang on a minute, a B-52 is coming. You know, and then they come flying by, and you're like, hang on. Just wait a minute. Then you can actually pick up your conversation. I don't know why they're so screaming loud. They're much louder than a jet at the normal airport, right? Uh, but what you'll find, all the B-52s do all the time in Bossier is they fly in circles. I hope I'm not giving up secrets or anything, but they just fly in circles. That's all they do. And so I'm talking to some of the pilots, and it's every single day. They take off, fly, you see the same pattern, they come back and they land. And then they take off again, and they circle around, and they land. And I'm watching it. We can watch them do that, and you're sitting there going, like, Y'all sure are burning a lot of fuel, you know. I, I went to a pilot and I was like, man, t- you just drive, you, you, you take a vehicle and you drive it in circles all week for no reason. Like you're not dropping bombs or anything. Like isn't that, doesn't that feel like a little bit of a waste, you know. Couldn't you save some money like, or something on, on uh, you know, like, like letting, them, letting them just sit for a little while and then you guys, can, you know, just study or have some fun on the golf course or whatever and. And, uh, you know, and, and there didn't seem to be any battles or anything on the, on the front. And it just, everything seemed to be kind of peaceful. 9-11 was 10 years ago. And uh, doesn't feel like anything's on the horizon now. Uh, why do y'all constantly, constantly, constantly fly in circles? Shouldn't you just take a break? And, he, and one of these pilot friends of mine said to me, he says, that right there will be the demise of this country if the military ever accepts that mindset. You can never, ever be less and 100% prepared at any moment. One thing is, if you let those B-52 sit around long enough, they weren't made to sit around, they start corroding. He says, what you'll do is you fire it up in times of battle, and what you'll find is it doesn't work. Because you weren't moving it, moving it, moving it. They're meant to fly. They're meant to be up in the altitude where the pressure squeezes it together and all these things. And you've got to keep it going, keep it going, keep it hot. So that when the time comes, we can go on a on moment's notice and we can defend our country. Verse 13, Paul says, do not drop your guard. You might feel like it's unnecessary. You might feel like I can relax. Paul says, keep your armor on. Stay alert. Keep your armor up. The second you think you don't have to keep your armor up, you're vulnerable. Keep your radar on. Keep your armor on. He says, when the day of evil comes, you'll stand your ground. You don't know when the day of evil could come to you. It may come to you as an individual because you had your guard down and a temptation came right across your bow. That you weren't foreseeing, you weren't looking, and all of a sudden, bam. You aren't ready. Or it could be. What he calls the day of evil. What does that mean? Seasons. Seasons of hardship. Seasons of the temptations are higher. And man, it just feels like Christians are getting picked off right and left for immoral things. And it's just hard right now. It's hard to stay faithful and stay strong. And we need each other. And we need encouragement a lot more than normal. Because it's just tough. The pressures are there. Seasons come and go. Life comes and go. You have heightened persecution when you feel like the church is just under the gun by the culture and the world. 
And then it lets off for some reason. There's just seasons of heightened, and that's what Paul's talking about, the day of evil. The day when it becomes hard to be a Christian. And, and Paul says when it's all done, when all is said and done, in other words, when the season, season abates, goes away a little bit or releases or relieves, you're there. You made it. You made it through. Why? You had your guard up. You had your guard up. And so we need to be a people who keep our armor on. Stay prepared, alert, because anyone can get taken down. No one is immune. And this is what Paul wants us to know about us. And Paul uses imagery here to help us live lives that are prepared. He uses military imagery. Now, um, don't get too hung up on the details of the imagery that he uses with the particular weapon and what it does and all that sort of thing. It's basically just an illustration. He's just trying to tell you to fight. Use the things that God has given you to guard yourself. Use it. Put it on and put it to use. Don't neglect the things that God has given to protect you from the evil one. He does give the belt of truth. We are a people that are committed to truth, not error, not heresy, not imbalance. The word of God. The word of God, we commit ourselves there to the word of God. We are a people of truth. The, blessed, the breastplate of righteousness, we are a people who are committed to walking rightly before the Lord. We've been given right standing in the Lord. We are righteous in his sight, and we're to walk righteously in our lives. And this is a guarding thing for us, walk in obedience to the Lord. Shoes prepared uh, with the gospel of peace. That we are faithful witnesses of the Lord. That we're looking for opportunities for the gospel. To share, to serve, to love. To be a person of peace. To proclaim the gospel of peace. The shield of faith. The shield of faith, Paul said, is trusting God when trusting is hard. That you trust. You trust him. And it doesn't mean that you can take away all the attacks to, to, to threaten your trust. It just means that you don't have to give in to them. You don't have to let them into your core. Trust him. When you feel like trust is hard, trust. Trust in God. Trust in his goodness. Trust in his mercy. Trust in his word. Trust in his promises. Trust. Trust him in the things you can't understand. If it doesn't seem to make sense, too far for you to understand. Whatever it might be, you're going to have lots of attacks in the world to a trusting God, trusting him in his word, and you choose to trust him again. That's using the shield of faith. You're just choosing trust. The helmet of salvation. Root yourself in your salvation. You know you have uh, experienced salvation from the penalty of sin. You're currently being saved from the power of sin, and one day you'll totally be saved from the presence of sin altogether. That's happening in your life. Root you in, yourself in that. Know where you are in that. You're being saved. Root yourself in your salvation. That's a helmet. To, to keep you from receiving a, a, a horrible blow in your faith. It's just illustrations that Paul is using to say, hey, you have what it takes to guard yourself. Put it on and put it to use. Keep your guard up. And lastly, use your weapons. The armor of God that Paul talks about here is, is defense. Watch your flank, church, right? Every military needs to do that. Watch your flank. Guard yourself from their attacks, but attack. Live on the offense as well. And think about that for a minute. He gave two weapons here. Two. Not just one. The first one, sword of the spirit. And, and he tells what it means, and that makes it easy for us. He says, it's the word of God. This is an unstoppable force in this world. That's what that means. This is our attack mechanism. Our commitment to live by it and our commitment to proclaim it. 
as God has said. And we trust that. I get behind this sword and I let it do the thing. Right? Just let it do it. God's word is powerful. The word of the gospel is powerful. It might sound like foolish to some, but it's the power of God into salvation to others. Don't be afraid of it. Use it. Use the word of God. But then he mentions prayer. And notice, he didn't even give a military illustration for prayer. But he definitely says prayer is a weapon. And, and I'm like, why, why didn't he, you know, I'm like OCD a little sometimes. And I'm like, Paul, come on, man. I needed a, I needed a little illustration there. And he didn't even use one. Why? I was showing you. That's not important. I'm, not, I'm just trying to show an illustration here, okay? But you know what it is? It's the catapult. It's the air power. It's the B-52. That's what it is. When we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I pray against all of the regimes set up on this earth against you. Paul says, my whole ministry is to tear down the world's philosophies that stand in opposition to God. We are tearing down. We are blasting the regime. We are tearing down structures, setting themselves up against the knowledge of God. Prayer, pick a regime. You know one, an evil regime. And what I mean by regime, not literal governments, I'm talking about the ways of this world. You know there's some. It's evil. It is evil. And you know what? Pray. 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 Prayer in the word of God is our strength. It's our attack. It's our weapon. We advance the gospel on the earth through prayer and the word of God. That's how we overcome. So how do we stay strong in the Lord? Know we're in a battle. Stay close to God. Keep your heart hot in the Lord. What are the things you know are there for you that you need to not only put on, you need to utilize them to keep your heart hot in the Lord, to keep your strength in the Lord? You got the Word of God. You got the fellowship of the saints. You got the Spirit of God living in you. That's three right there. We can go more. Are you putting them on? Are you getting your heart in the strength of the Lord and in his mighty strength. Praise and worship, prayer, submitting to his will, hearing from his word, joining a band of brothers, men, who are going to look you in the eye and watch your back and you watch their back. That's another armor piece. All of these things we have at our disposal. We have the protection. Keep your guard up. Use your weapons. Years ago, I uh, was friends with a guy in the church, and he was a leader in the church. And I love this guy. Great brother in the Lord, family, strong family man. Served in the church in lead roles. And, and then one day, I remember being in the church, and I just thought, you know what, I hadn't seen him in a, in a while. And I started thinking about it, and I was like, I don't think I've seen him in months. And that's really odd because that's not like him. And so I figured I'd reach out to him. And so I called him. <clears throat> I said, hey, man, hadn't seen you. Just checking in, checking in with you. How you doing? He said, oh, you know, the typical answer that you get. Uh, oh, man, work's busy. Been traveling a lot. Oh, it's just been crazy. But I'll get back, you know, kind of thing. So I, was, I hung up. And my spirit was so troubled within me, and here's why. That is not him. He's different. He would never say that. And I know that. 
he's in a different place. And my spirit was troubled within me, and I felt afraid for him. I felt like he's vulnerable. He's got his guard down. I, I don't know. I just felt all those things in that moment. And I felt like calling him back and maybe just kind of pressing a little bit more because I know this ain't right. He would never use work and travel. That's, he'd be there. But I didn't call because I felt like he might go, hey, I mean, you're just pressing in, man. You feel, I didn't want to come across judgmental or like, you know, like legalistic in his life or anything like that. And so I was like, well, he's all right. He'll be back. You know, I just kind of ignored that sense. A few months later, his wife calls me and says, I want you to know, I need to let you know he's told me that he doesn't love me anymore and he's leaving me and the kids. And actually, I found out that he's been having an affair. And so I call him. And I'm like, hey, can we talk? And so I go to his house, and I'm sitting in his living room. And I'm looking at a guy in the eye, and I don't even know who this guy is. I, I, I just sensed he has gotten involved with something that completely has him and his heart is hard and he, and he can't hear anything I'm saying. And his reasoning to me was like another person. It wasn't him. It was like, do you, like, you hear what you're saying? Like, I don't understand. Like, what, and, and what, what I learned in that moment years ago in the ministry as I looked at this guy and I felt as I felt like I had a front row seat to a guy at some point dropped his guard. And it might have been a little crack here or just a little compromise there or a neglect there or here. And what I did is I caught him way into the game. I, I, I interacted him way into the game and it was too late. And it hurt me. And what it told me was, nobody's immune. You got to fight. When you feel him coming on, and it might be subtle, and you feel a temptation to this or that, fight. Fight against everything you feel right now. Everything you feel, everything you sense is going the wrong way, and you're powerless to it. Fight now. You got to fight for the things that are right. Fight for the things in your heart. And right now, the current has you so going, and you're not fighting. We have to fight. That's the last charge that Paul has for us in Ephesians. Do not think you can put your guard down. You have an enemy. We have a great God. We have great salvation. But don't think for a second it's okay to think you're not in a battle. We're in a battle. The final charge, stay strong in the Lord and in the might of his strength. Amen. Will you bow with me? Let's pray. Amen. Uh, Lord, we just come before you in this moment of uh, just transparency and openness.
Let's just open our hearts before the Lord. And I want to ask you, if you look into your heart, are you sensing in your heart a posture of fighting? Are you a fighter? Do you feel like a fighter? Um, or a coasting kind of posture? Well, you can come back. Say, say, Lord, just fill me with a fighter spirit. The fighter spirit of Christ. Who would not yield to anyone that got in his way from following the Lord. He would say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I will go to the cross for my people. I will obey my father. I will go all the way and I will give the devil not an inch. Fill us, O Lord, with a fighter spirit. Is there an area of your life where you feel like you're dropping your guard? Is there ground that you've given up? You can take it back. And you can take it back right now. This is the cool thing. The Lord says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God. And God will draw near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Father, by your spirit, speak to us today. Give us clarity. Awaken us, O oh Lord, to the realities we face. Thank you that we don't have to fear. The only thing we have to fear is to be away from you. And that in you, in your strength, we cannot lose. Hear our prayer today. Help us respond to your leading in our hearts. To go where you want us to go, to restore what you want us to restore, to put on whatever armor we've taken off, to, to take up our weapons and to think on offense. Show us. Restrengthen us. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We stand with me all across the room. We're going to sing a song. Maybe t- spend this time and let's do business with the Lord in prayer. Go where he leads you. Have a moment with the Lord as we sing.